0: All right, I'm here with Tom Dobson. Tom, thanks so much for joining. I'm a big fan of your work, Joe, and a long-time listener and a first-time caller, so I'm pleased to be here. Not sure I'm wor- not sure I'm worthy.
1: Uh, yeah, of course you are. All right, so let us know what you were doing prior to going to INSEAD and what you've been up to the last 20 years.
0: Prior to INSEAD, I was a consultant, so like many of your previous interview subjects, uh, I was with what was then AT Carney, it's now called Carney. And uh, I worked in New Zealand, Australia, all around the region, great projects, everything from uh, airline network optimization uh, in New Zealand to ad buying in media. I worked for Unilever in uh, Thailand and China. And uh, we actually even developed, tried to develop an online procurement platform that was so far ahead of its time in 1998 or 1999 that it didn't really get legs. But I really enjoyed it. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life after university. Um, but it was a great, uh, great career. And um, as many others have articulated, consultant, consulting firms... Uh, really push you, uh, encourage you. I forget how Lucia put it, but um, you were encouraged to pushed out the door and encouraged to apply for an MBA. I only applied for one school. I applied for INSEAD, and um, I was yeah I was really lucky to get in. They funded some of my expenses, so off I went to INSEAD. I'd had a um, a pen pal believe it or not, for about 10 years prior. She's been my pen pal for 35 years now, I think. And I went and stayed with her family for a month to try to improve my French in a village. A French um, pen pal. A French pen pal, French pen pal called Claudine. Uh, in With her family, I stayed um, in Aveyron, which is in the south of France. Uh, not that it helped me that much, but I arrived in Fontainebleau, at least having acclimatised uh, to summer over there. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed, I I remember the first week, I was lucky because I was partly funded. I remember sitting in Amphi C or whatever, E3, whatever we were in, Amphi A, and I felt like I had to make a decision in the first week. I'd either be working on my CV, like many people were, or I was going to make uh, make the most of my year off. And it was already getting difficult. I, I felt that it was difficult um, even before the Gulf War started, and I didn't want to go back to consulting. But I thought I can if I, I would enjoy this year more if I stress less about getting a job, which I was in the fortunate position of because my fees were, you know, partly paid for. Uh, but I loved. I did uh, all the core subjects. Enjoyed consumer behaviour. I didn't do realising entrepreneurial potential because I just didn't have an idea uh, unique enough or didn't back myself in, which I regret actually. Um, and lots of people, as you've interviewed, Jamie and others, had so many fantastic idea and ideas and have built businesses. But um, I really enjoyed the year there. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I went back to – I didn't have to do a language either because I had basic – French and Indonesian, but I have created a new language show called "Free (laughs) indonesian When when I want the French word, I get the Indonesian word. So I felt like I could focus on my business studies and, um, you know, I never thought I'd go back to AT Kearney, but lo and behold, 12 months later, um, after dragging the year out into 16 months, I went back to consulting but decided that I couldn't uh, stay in Australia. So I think one of my first projects, I, I went to India for a year and a year or so um, soon after I got back and that was fantastic. I worked for a fast moving consumer goods company, looking at material sourcing and some strategy work and I loved it. I loved working with uh, the consultants there. I've never felt more alive than I felt in Mumbai and uh, uh, my wife came over she worked in the slums they filmed slum dog millionaire while we were there in where she was working that was 2000 and 2004 2003 and um yeah i really had some fantastic experiences there we you get used to the the work ethic the the smarts the the way people work i went to the houses of my colleagues, and uh, they were so generous with their time and with their uh, hospitality, and I really didn't want to leave. But uh, that project finished, and uh, I went to Malaysia and worked for a shipping company, and um, that was fantastic. But I so had still to, with Kearney as a consultant. Still, still with Kearney, and I had to pay back. I, had to, I was committed for three years, but I didn't last three years. I'm not. I kind of expected them. I thought. Two years might be enough, but no, I had to pay back a third of what I owed them when I left to join a bank. So a lot of friends and former colleagues had gone, you know, colleagues whose uh, taste I trust and they were real um, go-getters. They went to this bank called National Australia Bank. It's one of the big four banks in Australia, and there was plenty of opportunity there to turn it around. So I left consulting and I joined NAB. Look, it was it was a great uh, it was a great uh, work life balance decision. Um, I can and still do ride my bike to and from work. In fact, I rode here today to the office with uh, with another in Seattle, and um, we were just he was uh, reminding me to make sure when I talk about uh, you know the life I have or whatever that I'm grateful for the fact that I can ride my bike to work and I don't sit on a train or anything for two hours i don't have that uh, i could almost see my house from the top of this office building so i'm very lucky so i um i've been working at nab for 15 years now in lots of different roles uh when was the yeah well, i walk us through so so what, what was the role when you started and what did I you sort of uh, started in know? 2006 in a internal consulting role kind of working for everything from the leave and relief models for the branch network, like how do we balance staffing? I worked on um, some product you know, around home loans versus personal loans, secured versus unsecured lending, just a bit of a gun for hire with, with some really great colleagues. And I ended up meeting uh, the marketing the head of marketing. So I'd done some great marketing subjects as part of the MBA. Um, I'd always had an interest in media and advertising. I was probably a frustrated copywriter at heart. So I joined the marketing team. Now, let me work out when the GFC, well, that was around GFC time. And um, we, you know, things were really tough, actually, for business banking, for business lending, funding dried up. We did some big campaigns around uh, how we were the bank who lent when others didn't, we had this famous truck ad. There was a truck going up a hill and the other banks going down the hill. We did a lot of great advertising around uh, the GFC. And then we did a lot of research and there's four big banks in this this country. And it seemed like the average customer did not differentiate between the banks. We're all as bad as each other and we're all the same and we couldn't differentiate ourselves. But we were frustrated because NAB had uh, removed a lot of unfair fees. We felt like we'd done a lot of things differently. So we ended up doing this huge campaign that's sort of infamous in Australia and won some awards in Cannes and I was just a very small part of it, but we broke up with the other banks. So you can imagine this was a very difficult thing to sell in to the organization. I was in the business bank at the time and clearly we don't really want. They don't want to break up with other banks because a lot of big corporates are split banked. They're multi, you know. We're just one of the banks who fund their um, operations. But we really felt that we had to differentiate ourselves, so we we broke up with the other banks. We did. We did it on Valentine's Day, 2011, I think. Maybe this was. We had a guy in a grand piano on the back of a truck going around the other bank headquarters playing breakup songs. Um <laughs> simply red meatloaf. We I think we we curated the uh the song list. We had stunts on Sydney Harbour with yachts and um, we set this up so that this yacht we unfurled this sail that said we're really sorry, but we're breaking up with you, and we had a fake yacht with another bank on there. Um and it became a really big it became a really big deal. We then had lots of spin-off ads where because we'd broken up with the other banks, we had a great ad where someone was walking through, there was a first per, point of view from the camera, we're walking through a club, you know, a musty cigar-filled leather club that people associate with banks about how we're we're not welcome anymore. And so it was a really big uh, big deal at the time to, to break up with them. It was successful, we gained customers, um, and it was a really interesting thing to be part of. And... Then I moved into lots of different roles. We were commercializing a lot of um, our data. So I worked um, on using our first party data, but then sanitizing it, um, working out how we could use it and work with other partners and help them identify opportunities. So we did a lot of work with that. Uh, I got into the ad tech and martech space, um, looking at technology And then I took over the sponsorship work, and I think um, a couple of people have talked about marketing and sponsorship, but one big thing that uh, NAB does, we're a big sponsor of the AFL. So AFL, I guess it's like the NFL, it's Australia's national football. It's a bit of a cross between, it probably looks like Gaelic football if you've ever seen that, Joe, I don't know, but it's it's a crazy game. It's actually a couple of Americans play this guy called Mason Cox, who's a Texan, he's about Six foot ten, and plays for a team called Collingwood, and um, a couple of ex AFL players go on to become kickers. No, what are they called in the in the NFL? Where the uh, they shoot the, kickers, um,
1: kickers, place kickers, or place kickers, or... whatever.
0: It's a bit of a skill. Mm-hmm. So the AFL is a huge game in Australia. It's it's massive. And when I took over the sponsorship portfolio, we just announced that we were going to be the naming rights partner of a new women's league. So women had played Aussie rules football for a hundred years, but not at the elite level. So the NAB AFL women's competition was a huge step forward. And there were, in the beginning, there were eight clubs. And it just became such a passion point of mine. I've got a daughter who plays football. And I think she's been part on this journey for like the last eight years. You can't be what you can't see. So we created and we partnered with the AFL to create this league that's got a talent, a genuine talent pathway. So one asset that we have is Auskick. So I think many sports around the world would have a grassroots, community level thing for kids aged between five and nine where they can get involved, learn the skills, less contact and more skill and more fun. and might be on a weekend. So Auskick is that, NAB AFL Auskick is a, early talent pathway and girls had done that and girls had gotten to a point where they could play for a little, a junior club, but then it just stopped and they had to hang up their boots. And um, many of them had gone on to become basketballers, cricketers, other professional sports. So AFL had not had that. So it's just grown and grown. And as the foundation sponsor, the AFL women's competition in Australia is now the largest employer of female athletes in this country. There's probably six or 700 professional athletes and they're um, paid professionally. The season is shorter, but it's become a big part of what my role is because we have to use what sponsorship is all about is building your brand and awareness and your consideration. And we know that through the research we do that, uh, and net promoter score, You're, you know, everyone does net promoter score. Our net promoter score for customers who are aware of our sponsorship is 15 points higher than those who are not aware. So we know that partnering with uh, the AFL and with AFL Women's and with OzKick, it's tapping into a shared passion that our customers have. So we're really big on leveraging those sponsorships doing lots of contextual advertising um so instead of just doing an ad if it's going to be in the broadcast or if it's going to be involved in football we'll try to tweak it so it's about football and for auskick we've created the years ago our agency created the afl nab afl mini legends and so what they are uh mini versions of some players who have very, uh, how do you, how do I put this? Unique features. They might have certain tattoos. They've got a certain mullet, like a huge hairstyle. So these mini legends, um, we've run a campaign during final season um, that features the mini legends and actually got a life of its own. You had players, I think through their agents, you know, you'd actually want to be a nab mini legend because you got, it's very hilarious because you could be this, uh, and we've got men and women mini legends. But these campaigns really became, they differentiated us from other corporate partners of football. So you can do a brand slap, you can have your logo across the chest or, or, or across the shorts and yes, you, you see it everywhere. Um, English Premier League, um, Hockey League, whatever, you've got sponsor logos everywhere. But how are you actually uh, bringing it to life and um i think we found that some of our advertising we were gr- we were doing a better job at growing the game of football than we were g- getting our brand out there so we did we really started to look at that um how we were getting our brand how we were associating with football and it's just been a big it's been a really big um, part of my role in the last few years, and so there's a really great. Is, is it only? Sorry, is,
1: is that is it only part of your role, or are you pretty much entirely focused on these sponsorships and these? No, these, it's, uh, it's just
0: part of my role. But don't tell anyone. It's probably one of my favourite parts of my role. I've got say mm-hmm. five or six different teams um, involved in doing the measurement of the campaigns, in doing sponsorship, doing the opera- operations and planning and marketing, but the sponsorship stuff just because you see your your kids going through it you see the passion that customers have we've done a lot of great job and we can also bring it to life for colleagues so half of the advertising you do often it's for your employees and your teams, so that mm-hmm. the bankers um don't feel feel that uh, the customers that they're cold calling for example have already have a positive impression of us just through the work we've done so I've done a lot of work uh, in that space. I'm still in that role. I, um, I've done a lot of work as well on um, the decarbonisation of digital advertising. So what, what we don't realise is, um, I think, I forget the stats, but if you ask people what industries they associate with pollution or carbon, you know, you talk about aviation, fossil fuels and things, actually the internet itself Um, the server calls, you know, 1 million impressions of an ad is something like eight tonnes of car. I forget the stat. There is carbon created. So we've done a lot of work with our agency around decarbonisation and understanding the, how we can optimise our advertising. This is just early days, but you can look at the resolution of your ads, the length of the ads, the publishers, who you're dealing with. So that's, I think it's going to become a really big thing because We can't just assume that because we can't see um, the carbon footprint of of advertising or of the internet that it doesn't exist. So I've been really fascinated by some of that and I've loved hearing uh, the renewable sort of sustainability focus of many of our cohort um, around doing amazing stuff around the world. So that decarbonisation has been a big part of things. And then in my spare time, I was, I was doing some not-for-profit work as a director of a childcare organisation, and uh, where I live, um, there's an organisation called Ceres. I guess many people in the UK might have been to the Eden Project or a couple of these social enterprises, and they exist everywhere, but Ceres is an amazing organisation in my local area. But it's – how do I – The mission of it is to fall in love with the earth again, right? So we want people to fall in love with the earth again. It's grown into about a $20 million revenue, 140 people um, organisation that does education projects for kids around. We have school incursions and excursions. So COVID was interesting. (laughs) We had to go digital for that. Um, And we've had about a million kids in the Melbourne area go through over the last 40 years. It started because there were a group of passionate people 40 years ago who knew that climate change was real. There was a quarry, an old site, and they got that site from the government, from the local council, and they've regenerated that into this extraordinary place where there's um, propagation, farms, a nursery, a cafe. Um, It's just a great place, a really special place. In the city I live in, and i've been on the board of that and because I work for a bank, they're like, "Oh perfect, you can be the uh the treasurer, the finance person i'm I'm not qualified uh, i I think I did enjoy uh, i did enjoy that one term that one p one of accounting at uh, I'm not an accountant, but I have been the treasurer ever since, and so that comes with it lots of stress, so many people who are involved in social enterprise will know. The smell of an oily rag, margin, the 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 dependence on grants, the dependence on government, um, and so I've been involved in that, and I probably that's probably ten or twenty hours a week, maybe you know, of of my time uh, going to meetings, working with the auditors, understanding, working with we've got a, I've got a great finance team there who. Are looking at all the different businesses, but I don't think I'm entrepreneurial enough to have my own business, but I've got skin in the game by having the fiduciary responsibility of this not for profit. And I think um, people like you, people, our classmates, um, I know a lot of people who just wait around and think that they'll do their not for profit or their NFP career after they finish and they make all their money but oh my god you know social enterprises and not for profits need young people now mm-hmm. i've got many people mm-hmm. working for me in their 20s and 30s i'm just telling them and, and i think some of them just they're a bit lost as well they don't have a sense of purpose so if you're really passionate about something it can be everything from can be animals so there's plenty of lost dogs homes that could do with you know commercial you can be a marketer you could be an accountant Do some pro bono work. Do some pro bono work with um, newly arrived migrants and um, helping them with bills so they're not shafted by telecommunications companies. Like, I just think that I'm really passionate about encouraging um, everybody to use volunteer leave, which we get. We're very lucky at our organisation. And I can't believe how many people don't take up volunteer leave. So I'm a huge fan of it.
1: Your your story is, is, and thank you so much for sharing it reminds me of of when we were in class together, and it's, it's a really fond memory of mine. Uh, about, I haven't shared with you before. Um, we were in—I forget which class—and people were saying, "Well, how do we get investment banking? How do we get consulting?" And your question was the opposite. of Like, actually, I'm in consulting, and I hate it. How do I get out of consulting? And it sounds like you've successfully navigated that after after a you know a few years post uh, post I
0: have, but look, they were they were a great. Uh, yeah, everyone says three years in consulting is like, or one year in consulting is like three years in some industries just because of the learning curve and the stress and everything. It was great, but I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm really glad I'm able to, uh, to give back a little bit while I've got a corporate job. Um, I can Mm -hmm. go and have this completely separate and people who work at series, they're passionate. Um, they, uh, it's just a completely different world that I'm really lucky to be part of.
1: Well, you're, you're sort of, you're inflating your post work life raft. For when you uh, when you're ready to, to jump off
0: it's true uh, let me ask it's you true. a
1: couple a, a couple a couple of uh, a couple of questions so um, what do you think retirement looks
0: like for you? Oh, I should be prepared for these look more you know mentoring um, that's one thing I probably don't have much as I do a bit of coaching for people who work for me, but um, mentoring facilitating that connection between um, not-for-profits perhaps, and um, people with skills. I'm sure there's someone who does that. We've got um, board – people. you can get board director qualifications from lots of organisations and there's, you know, job boards where things are needed. But um, if I was, re- you know, retired, I'd like to be um, connecting people. I think that's part of my retirement would be mm-hmm. um, connecting people. And because you've, I've got my feet in different camps – I think I could do a good job at that.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So last question, two parts. What can we as a community do to help you and vice versa? What are you able to do to help uh, the rest of us?
0: Do you know what? Listening to some of your previous podcasts and having uh, kids who are quite getting very grown up, (laughs) I'd love them to have work experience with with some of the cohort. I reckon that's something we haven't talked about is this next yeah. generation. So we've got INSEAD O3J. We've got INSEAD O3J next generation. Some of us have got children who are at university or maybe. And so we've got this global network. And I look, I listen to things that uh, I'm going to name names here, but I mean, look, I look at what Vivek, I was listening to what's happening with renewables in India. I was I mean, my son would probably like the idea of Pirelli, this <laughs> Lachia and Pirelli and stuff. <laughs> um, but I really think that I might be tapping tapping into people and sending uh, sending someone off for work experience. I really think that I don't know better people than some of our classmates, and just the things that people have achieved. I would love my kids to have half of that drive and um, and knowledge. So I've just really enjoyed listening to. The podcast series and you know I'd, I'd love to hear from in terms of how people can help me i'd love also anybody who's done some great work about return on marketing investment and proving the value of, of marketing uh, especially that long-term short-term you know we're on the on the last click drug how do you build brand uh for the long term so i'm really interested in anything about return on marketing investment and social enterprise. Also, what
1: what, what, I, what I heard you say was uh, we can send all our kids to Australia and you'll take care of them for a summer, right? Oh,
0: yeah. They can be jackaroos and gillaroos and all that kind of thing. There's that. <laughs> um, but, yes, no, they're more than welcome here. In fact, I'm looking forward to Jamie. Jamie Delaps coming to Australia. Uh, someone else is coming oh, down. fantastic. Not enough of you. This is the arse end of the I know how far away it is. And <laughs> it was one of the reasons why I couldn't get to the reunion, which I'm just still upset about. But we would love to... I I will be offended if I find or see on social media anyone from uh, our group who comes to Australia and doesn't say, I'm going to be in Sydney on this day, I'd be more than happy to fly from Melbourne to Sydney just to catch up with someone. You know that that's a wonderful
1: punctuation mark because that's that's what I always say to everyone I talk to after we hang up. That if, if I find out you were Southern California and you didn't tell me, I'm going to be very very heartbroken. Uh, so let's let's end on that. Tom, thanks so so much. This this is a lot of fun. Really really good to catch up. Joe, you're a star. Thanks, Mike.